Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. The universe has changed a lot since the very beginning of the Big Bang, but exactly how is important. Now we can use different techniques to try to measure the expansion of the universe, but they all rely on a bunch of assumptions, the so-called standard model. And the way we refine our measurements and understanding of that is incredibly important, but very, very difficult, because after all, how do you measure what you can't see? One of the greatest scientific experiments and projects of the last 50 or so years has been the Hubble Space Telescope, mostly because it has literally shed light on deepest, darkest parts of the universe, giving us crystal clear images of galaxies, of nebula, fantastic visions that otherwise scientists can imagine, but had turned it into a beautiful reality for many people, both those in the scientific community and outside of it. So Hubble's contribution in that way has been tremendous in the public understanding of science. But that's what the Hubble Space Telescope did for science. The person that Hubble Space Telescope is named after, Edwin Hubble, was also pretty remarkable and made a pretty spectacular contribution to our understanding of the universe, mostly around the way in which we now understand it's expanding. This, of course, even led to people like Einstein having to rethink their assumptions about the way universe works. Now, part of this measurements done by Hubble was to try and figure out how fast the universe was expanding or contracting. And by doing a series of measurements on distances and lights of stars, he developed, along with Georges Lemaitre, in 1920s, defined what they call the Hubble constant. This is a way that they could measure just how fast in kilometers per second per megaparsec, KMS per megaparsec. Now, why is parsec involved in that? Well, parsec is a measurement of distance and speed of light. So one megaparsec is around 3.26 million light years. So also combining that with kilometers per second gets it from a tangible number that we are used to calculating to, to one that's actually more on a galactic scale. Now, this measurement that they developed was a way of measuring just how fast the universe is expanding. And if you try and take this measurement, it's a bit tricky because you have to observe the movements relatively of things in space. That's one mechanism you can use to develop just exactly how fast the universe is expanding. But there are others. Now, the original and the best direct measurement of this Hubble constant is using this cosmic distance ladder. Now, you pick a star, and the first rung that they use in this ladder that they're building of absolute calibration is the brightness of a star called Cepheids. Now, this can be used as a measurement point, as a starting point, and then you measure the relative brightness of another star, and another star, and another star, climbing up this ladder. And from this, and tracking how far it starts to spread, you can get a more accurate understanding of the expansion rate of the universe. In fact, in 2011, a Nobel Prize was won in physics by Adam Ries for measuring that ladder again using a supernova. And with all of that calculation, they placed the expansion rate of H0 at around 73.0 plus minus one kilometer a second per megaparsec. So it's pretty good measurement, but it's, as you can see, something that can change depending on your calibration point, And that can be a bit messy. The problem is that's not the only way to try and calculate it. Instead of trying to measure the relative brightness of stars or objects in space, you could use the cosmic microwave background radiation. 
this is another method, but to do this, you really need to have a perfect understanding of how to back extrapolate from that data how fast the universe is expanding, which means that your model of the early universe and of all the physics needs to be pretty accurate. If not, you end up with a discrepancy. And that's what researchers like Maurizio Cruz-Ries and Richard Anderson from École Polytechnique Fédérale de Lucerne in Switzerland have just published in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics. They were looking at how well this calibration stands up with the cosmic background radiation models and other models using relative measurements from stars. And the answer is probably not quite good enough. So if your understanding of the early universe and the way which it evolves into the current state is off by just a little bit, you get a discrepancy in the actual end result that we see for the Hubble expansion rate. Your starting point is wrong. If you don't have exactly the right calibration in your model or your formula, well, maybe you'll drift apart as the universe history progresses. That's basically what we're doing when we're looking back in time through the cosmic microwave background radiation and then trying to forecast to now. And European Space Agency satellite Planck get a really complete picture of the CMB. And with this, you can get a value for the expansion rate around 67.4. Now, 73 based on supernovas, 67 based on the satellite method using cosmic microwave background radiation. And that's a big discrepancy, 5.6 kms per megaparsec. This is called the Hubble tension, a difference between what our models of the early universe and what we can actually measure using the distance ladder technique. Now, this means that something is either wrong, the measurement is wrong, the latter technique is wrong, or perhaps our model of understanding the expansion of the universe is wrong. So something is not quite right, which is leading to this discrepancy, and it's well outside the margin of experimental error. So it's pretty significant, significant enough to worth investigate. So the researchers in this case from Ecole Polytechnique de Luzerne were looking at how they could retry to use the ladder-based method to see if they could refine it, recalibrate the starting point. And what they did is they recalibrated that initial first measurement of the star Cepheid. By changing that calibration point at the beginning, then they found that they could actually get much, much closer to the supernova-based estimation within 0.9%. That's pretty good. And it's significant because it means that that 73 kilometers per second per megaparsec, the 2011 Nobel Prize winning research, is actually more accurate than the CMB method, which makes sense. There's a lot of assumptions baked into the CMB method, which could obviously be wrong as opposed to some kind of direct measurement of a physical thing in the universe, which is more likely to be at least accurate to our understanding. So what they did in this particular paper is search for Cepheids belonging to star clusters made of several hundreds of stars by then checking whether the stars are moving through the Milky Way. The trick there is by moving it through the Milky Way or looking for, looking for stars that are moving through the Milky Way, they could use understanding of the parallax measurements to get a better precision on measuring those stars. That's pretty cool. They can actually use the parallax technique in much way we use it to find other planets and objects in our space and use it to apply to get a better measurement for this initial calibration point of the Cepheid. So what does this study really help us learn? Well, the, it points to the fact that the Nobel Prize winning research by Adam Ries and the team to measure the actual expansion rate of the universe using a supernova, that measurement looks pretty solid. Other techniques you can use to use other ladder methods can be made to sort of align to that mechanism within 1% margin of error, which is pretty good. 
still the best measurements we've got for cosmic microwave background radiation are well away. So if we can find a way to refine our understanding of the models of the early universe, then maybe we can use that method and get it closer. And it shows that actual direct measurement, like many things, is probably more beneficial. And it points out where we still have ways to improve our model and understanding of the universe. And this is the way science works. Some groundbreaking work is done, different techniques try to hone in on the same answer. One technique is more successful than another, and that leads you to ask why, which can then lead you to improve your understanding of things as you go through. Now, this paper was published in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics with lead author Mauricio Cruz Ruiz and Richard Anderson. These are things that we know are there. And we know this because without them being there, something's very wrong with our mathematics. Direct measurement tells us that there needs to be something we need to add in, something we can't see or easily measure, but it's definitely influencing the expansion of the universe and the properties of the universe that we see. Our formulas need something there to balance them. The problem is, well, it's invisible and hard to measure. We don't know, that's why it's dark matter and dark energy. So how do you measure and understand something that's not there? This is a serious problem. How do you measure dark matter? Something which emits no light, so you can't see it, but can influence the universe around it. Researchers are really trying to get their head around this tricky, tricky problem and have been for countless years. And it's not straightforward. There are tricks you can use, and some research has just been presented at the Future Science with CMB LSS conference in Japan in a seminar session from researchers from Princeton University and different research communities in Japan and Taiwan to use some pretty spectacular telescopes. The Subaru Telescope in the summit of Manuke in Hawaii. And the, that Subaru Telescope is actually operated as part of the National Astronomical Observatory of Japan organization. Now, now this international team of researchers have an answer to the question of how you measure and understand something you can't see, something that doesn't emit light. And it's like most things in science, you have to look for an inference. You can measure the movements or the changes in things you can see. So in the case of dark matter, astronomers watch how light from distant galaxies can bend or shape around the presence of dark matter. Now, They've been trying to investigate this with sophisticated computer simulations and then tying that to observations from the real world. In this case, they're using the Hyper Supreme Cam, HSC, in the Subaru Telescope in Manukea, in Hawaii. Now, the idea here is to try to measure some fundamental properties of the universe, because as from the calculations, we can see that dark energy and dark matter theoretically make up 95% of the universe collectively, but we don't understand very much about any of them. We think perhaps there are clumps of dark matter that distort the light of distant galaxies. 
not very strong electricity, receives some pretty weak gravitational lensing. But this is something that we could actually see. Now, this distortion is very real, but it's really, really small in effect. If you imagine a shape of a single galaxy, it's distorted by an imperceptibly tiny amount. But if you take a lot of measurements of galaxies, say 25 million, you'd be able to measure that distortion pretty accurately. Now with this, the researchers were able to measure what they call effectively a clumpiness of the universe's dark matter. This clumpiness, or basically how it's spread around, is known to cosmologists in the field as S8. They measured a value for this S8 value, or the clumpiness of dark matter, at around 0.776. Now, if you take that number and compare it to other gravitational lensing surveys, it's close, but not exactly the same. It seems to be close to around the number of 0.83, which you get if you use cosmic microwave background radiation as your starting point. Again, as we just saw in the other paper we talked about, this can have a lot of assumptions in it as well. So any number you get there is going to have a bit of a margin of error based on our understanding. But it's in pretty close ballpark. And this one is done using direct measurements rather than relying on extrapolation from cosmic microwave background radiation. Now, the gap between these two values is small, but the researchers don't want to write it off because it seems that it's also possibly significant. There might be some other type of mechanism at play here that's not being factored in. A difference that is actually important to add into the calculation. So it may be different to the scenario we talked about earlier where you have two measurements, one being more accurate, the other one based on some estimation. This one might be, maybe we're missing something here that needs to be added in. And this gets back to the larger point. Astronomers and cosmologists are trying to get more information about the structure of the universe. And it's hard because they are trying to interpret the data that they get based on some model, some understanding of the way the universe works. But that model is developed by humans and has some flaws, flaws we know about. That's how dark matter and dark energy are defined in our formulas. We know they're there somehow, but we don't know what they are. And this can introduce biases into the study as well, because you can have researchers' preferences blinding the study. And it's very difficult to do what you would do in say, another profession where you would have a double-blind study to eliminate the bias of scientists. Now, this is interesting because in this particular research project, the active team tried to eliminate biases as best they could. They hid the results from themselves and their colleagues for months without having to see the data that was coming out to add this extra layer of obfuscation. They even used three different galaxy catalogs, some with real data and two with random numerical values offset into them. So they tried to create something where they couldn't actually unintentionally influence the results. This is cool because it actually shows the scientists trying to second guess themselves and make sure they haven't herded themselves into some assumptions in the way that they were analyzing the data. It's a pretty cool technique, but not one widely used in cosmology and astronomy. So what actually goes into this so-called standard model of cosmology? Some researchers, like Anthony Nicola of University of Bonn, describe it as something that's astonishingly simple. You can judge that for yourself, but the idea is that the universe is made up of four basic groups of things, ordinary matter, the atoms that we know, things like hydrogen and helium, the most column elements in the universe, along with dark matter, dark energy, and photons, light particles. Now, according to the standard model, the universe has been expanding since the Big Bang around 13.8 billion years ago. 
and it started smoothly. But then gravity began to influence the expansion, creating subtle fluctuations in the structure. And then galaxies envelop these dark matter clumps to then form. And in the present day universe, if you look at the ratios between ordinary matter and dark matter, they're around 5% ordinary matter, 25% dark matter, 70% dark energy, and, well, some tiny contribution from photons. Now, the ratio between all of these and how clumpy dark matter is distributed across the universe, that is what affects the overall, I guess, density measure of the universe, which then influences things like background radiation as well as expansion rate. So this is where we come back to using the cosmic microwave background radiation as a measuring tool to assess how the universe is. We look back in time at, say, the baby photo of the universe and say, ah, oh, based on that, we expect the density to be like this. Let's look today to see if that lines up. But the problem is that there's some discrepancies in these measurements like we talked about before, and so it's not necessarily straightforward. Could the standard model be refined? Absolutely, but how? It's necessarily clear because you have to have different techniques and be a way to measure things that you can't see. And that's where this study really comes in. It's a better way of assessing the ratio, some of the inputs to this formula for the way that dark matter works, which is very helpful in understanding that portion of the puzzle. It doesn't address dark energy, the bigger, larger item out there, but it is again one contribution to that overall understanding equation. And at some point we might get a new formula, a new understanding of the way the ratio of these different elements work, or find a way to infer the measurements for dark matter or energy more accurately. And we can revisit these equations and, and try and recalculate them once again. But in the meantime, trying to get more accurate measurements of the things we can't see will always remain a challenge for the astrophysics and cosmology community. But it's one that you can, slowly but surely, chip away at. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. Recalculating the cosmic microwave back radiation, or Hubble's constant, are difficult tasks, but one we can slowly but surely chip away at with new advancements in astronomy and astrophysics. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.